This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Pastor Matt Woodley and is part three of our summer series, Growing Together in God's Household. Whenever I need legal, doctor-prescribed drugs, I go to my friend Sanjeev, who operates a um, pharmacy inside a local grocery store here in this community. And uh, I love Sanjeev. He is responsible. He's reliable. He goes above and beyond the call of duty to meet my needs. So if you need a pharmacist, come and see me afterwards. But uh, Sanjeev is a nice Hindu man. Um, And we've talked a couple times in just sort of vague terms about religion, faith, God. And sometimes I think, you know, I'd really like to talk to him sometime about Jesus. But then I think, you know, I have questions like this. Well, wouldn't that be kind of rude? I mean, he's just selling me drugs, you know, legal drugs. Um, Wouldn't that be sort of like intolerant? I mean, wouldn't that sort of be like, uh, you know, I think like my religion can beat up his religion. And so we're going to have a conversation like that. And... I start running those questions through my mind, and then I just kind of shut down. It's like, nah, let's just keep it general and generic. And I think that represents a a basic assumption that a lot of us have in America in the 21st century. It goes something like this. Everybody's got different paths in religion. Everybody's got different ideas. They're all equally valid. So don't push your religious views on anyone else because that's rude. And secondly, that whole kind of stuff where, you know, one religion's better than another, we know that led to some really bad stuff. Religious conflicts, religious wars, people killing each other over different religious viewpoints. So it's best to just have your truth and let somebody else have their truth, because we all have a piece of the truth. Now, I hope I've summarized that fairly in just 30 seconds, okay? Um, It's sometimes pictured in a little parable that's sometimes called the five blind men and the elephant. There's different versions of it, but you've probably heard it. You've probably seen it on YouTube. It's five blind men, and that's the original version, so now we'd probably say visually impaired, but it was originally blind men, so I'm just going to stick with that, because that's the original thing. So one guy touches the trunk, and he says, well, it's a snake, and one guy touches the tusk, and he says, it's a spear, and another guy touches the leg, and he says, oh, it's a tree. And in the same way, every religion, at least all the major religions, Every religion has a piece of the truth. And it's really arrogant and even dangerous to say, I have more of the truth than you. I have a bigger piece of the truth. Or I have the whole truth. So I want to dive into this and and look at three questions. Address three questions. The first one is, so what has the church taught about this throughout the years? I mean, as Anglicans, we say, we say, what does the Bible say? But we also say, what has the church said what the Bible has said throughout the years? So I'm going to try to summarize that. And second question is, is, is that arrogant? Is that dangerous? 
And then the third question is, is what difference does all this make? Interesting questions, is it philosophical? Does it make any difference to my life and how I live my life? So the first question is, is, is what is the church taught? And we got actually have a great little Bible passage on that this morning that I'm going to sort of zoom in on. And it was the first scripture reading that you heard, so I want to invite you to turn to that if you follow along with these kind of things. So this was actually a um, letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to his protege, his son in the faith, a man named Timothy, <clears throat> which is why it's called Timothy. And in this little section, it's just really kind of compressed, condensed, theology about what Christians believe, okay? So it's, it's a great passage for that. And the first thing I want you to notice is how radically inclusive this message is on, in many ways. I don't know if you heard there's a little word that occurs over and over again in this passage. It's the word all. So verse 1, it talks about prayers being made for all people. Verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions, um, so that would be praying for political leaders that we don't just happen to that don't just happen to agree and endorse American politics. So we would pray for Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia. We would pray for um, the supreme leader of Korea, Kim Jong Un. We would pray for Muhammadu Buhari, who's the Muslim president of Nigeria. Christians are called to pray for all people. Whether they agree with American politics, whether they're Christians or not, we're called to pray for all people. It's radically inclusive. The third all is in verse 4, where it says that God desires all people to be saved and come to know the knowledge of the truth. The, the fourth all is in verse 6, where it says that Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all people. So you hear this word all over and over again, and you get the picture that understood correctly and practiced Faithfully, the church should be this incredibly globally, ethnically inclusive place. Racism, nationalism, thinking that my nation is better than yours, colonialism, thinking that my cultural expression is better than yours and I need to force that upon you, maybe in the name of religion as well, and they're sometimes tied together, but all of those isms are like weeds that when you really understand Jesus, they get like plucked out by the roots. Jesus plucks them out if you let them, if you let him. Sometimes Christians have been guilty of these isms, but we need to come back to the heart of the gospel and repent and renew our faith in Jesus. But then we have verse 5. So we got all this radical inclusivity. And then there's verse 5. It says, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. And you think, oh, that's like, all of a sudden, that seems really narrow. You got all these exclusive, inclusive things, and now there's just like this narrow. One God, one mediator between people and God, the man, Jesus Christ. Now, <clears throat> we can picture it like this. So this is what Paul is saying. This is what Paul is saying. This early Christian theology is that, so we have one God who's reaching out to humanity like this. We have the human race, which is sort of like, eh, 
no, eh, get away, or I'm going over here, running away. And so the relationship is broken down. And when a relationship breaks down, sometimes you need a mini mediator, someone who can understand both sides, someone who can stand in the middle. And Paul is saying that Christ is that mediator. What he did for us is mediation, bringing these two parties together. Now, <clears throat> so the question is, why would this one God who desires all people to be saved insist on this one mediator? Remember my assumption earlier that this sort of goes against the way most of us, the kind of the mindset that most of us breathe and live. Well, why can't Christians just let this one slide? And the answer to me is one word, Jesus. There's not something special or superior about us. There's not something special or superior about our religion. There's not something special or superior about Americans or our nation or the way we do things, but there is something unique about Jesus. And in this text, we see that there's something unique, first of all, about Jesus's life. He's a mediator. When the relationship is broken down, which was on us, not God, Jesus, the mediator, stands between. And it says he's the man, Jesus Christ, is what this passage says. Very interesting. Now, Paul has already implied or directly said earlier that Jesus is fully God. And now he's saying, I also want you to know he's fully man. He's a human being. He's a man that was born in a particular place, a particular time. He's a human being. And he stands between both God because he's fully God and humans because he's fully human. That's something unique. There's a, a guy in the Old Testament, you've probably heard of, his name is Job. And Job had been through a lot of suffering and at one point he cries out, if only someone could arbitrate between me and God. If only someone could lay his hand on both of us. In the midst of his suffering, he cries out. And in the person of Jesus, that cry has been answered. And the cry of every human heart that is longing for the presence of a God who will be with us and will walk beside us. You know, a few years ago, I read this beautiful story about a 19th century Buddhist poet named Issa. And Issa was a man who had experienced many sorrows in his life, including the, the death of his mother, the death of one of his daughters. And in the midst of these sorrows, he went to a Zen master and he asked for wisdom and he asked for comfort. And the Zen master reminded him that life is an illusion and life is like the dew that appears on a flower and then when, and then the grass and then when the sun comes up, it just gets absorbed and it's gone. And Issa went home and he, he wrote this poem very simple poem. It goes like this. The world is due, the world is due, and yet, and yet. And that's the end of the poem. I just think about that poem and I just, it's so honest and it's so raw and yet it, to me it's so heartbreaking too. The world is due and yet, and yet, is there something? Is there someone 
out there that will hear my cry? Is there someone that will hear your cry and my cry when we suffer, when our heart is broken, when we're confused, when we're guilty? Is there someone that will hear our cry? And Jesus as the mediator means, yes, there is someone that fully God and fully human that will not only bridge the gap, but will show you what God and the Father is really like. Jesus has a unique life. He also has a unique death. Verse 6, Jesus Christ gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. See, we often think of religion as some kind of system by which we bring to God or the God's stuff that we're supposed to bring to God or the God's. So we bring God our offering. We bring God or the gods our thanks. We bring God our obedience. We clean up our life and then we bring it to God or the gods and so therefore God can bless us. Well, the good news of Jesus completely flips that on its head and says, I give you, I, he gave himself as a ransom. I give you myself. I give you my life. I give you my body and my blood as we're going to celebrate in the Eucharist. And he became a ransom for all. Now, <clears throat> that's a great little image that sometimes people want to push too far, but just keep, keep the basic image. And that is that, that we know what it's like when someone has been taken hostage and a ransom has been put on that person's head or a group of people. And they can't pay for that at their own resources. This, this past week, there was news about a Canadian man <clears throat> named Robert Hall who's being held by <clears throat> terrorists in the Philippines. He was kidnapped from his hotel room. He's being held for $16 million. He's a hostage. They demand a ransom. Somebody needs to pay it. The government of Canada is not going to pay it. But in our ransom situation... Our ransom situation, Christ comes in and he pays the ransom that we could not pay. You see, we're tempted to think of Christianity as just another system of just getting it right. But it's radically different. It's more like this. Let's say you've fallen into a pit and you can't get out. Most religious systems in one way or another, and it's not totally fair, but it's not totally unfair either, I don't think. Most religious systems are basically say, well, let me give you a program to get out of that pit. Let me give you resources to get out of that pit. Let me give you wisdom. Let me give you a way. Let me give you a path. And Jesus comes and says, wow, you're in a pit. I got some bad news for you. It's worse than you ever imagined. You're never going to get out. You are in a huge pit. I don't know if you knew that, but it's worse than you thought. And then Jesus climbs into the pit with us and for us, takes our place in the pit, and lifts us out of the pit. Again, it's an imperfect analogy, but you get the point. Christ has given himself for us. That's the good news of the gospel. So that's the first question. Second question is, is that arrogant and is it dangerous? Well, it could be. Because Christians can be arrogant and dangerous because they're sinners. And sometimes they sin by being arrogant. 
So it is entirely possible to turn that into a source of arrogance. But let me just back up to that elephant question, the elephant analogy, okay? So it seems like it's humble to say, well, we all just see parts of the elephant, okay? We all just have pieces of the truth. But it's a great analogy, and it's worked really well, but there is, I think there's a problem with it. And the problem is this. Let's say I'm telling the story about the elephant. I'm telling the story, and I can see this guy has part of the truth, and I can see this guy has part of the truth, and I can see this guy has part of the truth. Who sees the whole truth? Me. And only me. I'm the only one that sees the big picture. I'm the only one that has 20-20 vision and can tell you exactly who has part of the truth and which part of the truth they have. Now, I know that that illustration is used to promote tolerance, and people may mean it that way. They may intend it that way. That may be in their heart. But really, to me, it comes across as kind of arrogant, kind of saying, I'm the only one that has the whole truth, and none of the rest of them do. Now, see, there's a problem that needs to get addressed in the human heart. And every religious kind of whether, no matter where you are on the religious spectrum, we all sort of have a blend of exclusivity and inclusivity. Nobody's really free from having some kind of exclusivity in their whole mix. The problem is, is that there's this like weed that gets in the human heart called self-righteousness. And when self-righteousness begins to grow in our heart or group righteousness begins to grow in our heart, then we begin to get arrogant and we begin to think, I can beat you up with my religion or I can beat you up with my country or I can beat you up with, with my uh, moral righteousness. There's an incredible resource, though, in the gospel for killing that weed. It's called grace. Jesus saves us not because of our righteousness, but because of his grace, because he has become our ransom. And that grace is like spiritual roundup. You know, I use, I'm not much of a gardener, so forgive me if this is not proper gardening technique, but I had these weeds that I could not get rid of, and I tried everything, okay? So finally, I'm just like, forget it. I'm going to the hardware store and I'm getting Roundup, okay? And I know maybe it's cruel, whatever. So I spray like two sprays of that. Next day, completely dead, you know? Completely wilted. Pull it up by the roots. Wow, this is good stuff. This is powerful. Well, the gospel is like spiritual Roundup on the weed of self-righteousness. A couple drops, you really understand it? You really start to let it sink in, accept it? The weed of self-righteousness begins to wither and dry. You know, as someone much smarter than me has noted, here's, here's a really interesting historical fact. When, when the good news of Jesus first kind of appeared upon the scene in the Greco-Roman world religions, Greco-Roman world had very open views on religion. You know, people were just sort of like, yeah, believe what you want to believe as long as you kind of give your little thing to the emperor, you know. But in practice, it was really brutal. It was a huge divide between the rich and the poor. The rich were pampered. The poor were degraded. 
Baby girls were left to die on city walls because people didn't want girls. When the plague came through and people started dying of the sickness, everybody left, everybody fled. Well, it's really interesting that Christians who believed in this sort of narrow, one true God, one mediator, were incredibly open to the marginalized. They threatened the rich to be generous. They gave generously to the poor. Slaves and free would worship together. Unheard of. Jews and Gentiles would worship together. Baby girls were adopted and taken in. When the plague started, people stayed. The Christians stayed and took care of the sick and the dying, risking their own life. And so you ask, why would an exclusive belief system like that, and behavior-wise, be so open to the marginalized? Because of this, you got Jesus, this man, fully God, dying on the cross for the sins of the world, dying for, praying for his enemies, who saves us by his grace, it propels us into that kind of lifestyle. Now the third question, what difference does this make? And let me just offer a couple things. Let's say this morning you're, by your own admission, not by my admission, but by your own admission, you would say, you know, I'm not a Christian, or I'm not following Jesus. You know, I came here for different reasons, but that's just not where I'm at. I respect it, I'm here, I'm at church, but it's not where I'm at. Well, maybe one of the reasons why you're not a Christian, because I know for a lot of people, well, one of the reasons might be because of the arrogance and self-righteousness of Christians. So let me just say, on behalf of the church, I'm up here preaching, so on the, the authority of the church, on behalf of the church, I just want to say, I'm sorry. That is not the gospel. That is not what should be produced in followers of Jesus. There's something wrong in our heart when we act that way. Christians act like sinners because they're still sinners, but they don't have to. But I also want to push back against that. I want to push back and I want to see, okay, maybe these people have acted badly. Maybe those people have acted badly. But I want to challenge you to look at the gospel of Jesus. I want to challenge you to look at his life and look at his death and ask yourself, how does that apply to me? Is there something there for me this morning? Just, that's all, the only question I want you to consider. If you are a Christian, I think I've been implying something. So let me just say it, but then let me tell you why. Why I think you should do this. I've been implying to push back against that assumption that sort of just kind of live and let live. I've been pushing back against that, implying that, thinking that maybe there's somebody that the Lord has put on your heart. You just need to have a little more courage. I know, because I preached that to myself this week, okay? But you need to have a little more courage to step out, to have a conversation. Maybe you've said, well, I just let my life speak. It's like, yeah, it's good. But Christianity is news. It's good news of something that happened in history. That's something that can happen now, something that's going to happen in the future. It needs to be announced somehow. It needs to come from our lips. And let me tell you why 
you should do that. Because it's hard. It's hard. Let me tell you why. And it's because of one thing. The beauty of Jesus Christ. It's why we do anything for him. Anything, whether it's easy or hard. Maybe you got up this morning. I was driving to church this morning. I'm seeing all these people riding their bikes on a beautiful day. I'm going, oh, wow, that would be nice. It's like, oh, I got to preach. Wait a minute, I got to get here. So, you know, why? Because of the beauty of Christ. Because of his unique life. Because he is the mediator. Because he's given his life for us and he's been the ransom for all of us. Consider the beauty of Christ. Be captured by the beauty of Christ. And then live your whole life captivated by a vision of who he is. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.